The 630 Chad Afternoon News, brought to you by California Closets, for the love of home. It's 3.06 on the 6.30 Chad Afternoon News. Jalen Nye, Andrew Gross, Beyonce tickets for you coming up later on. The show is done today at uh, 5.30. Yeah, make room for the City Ford Face-Off show. We take on the Toronto Maple Police. We've got a unique way to give away the Beyonce tickets. So one of the things that we're going to have to do, though, is maybe play that a couple of times so so people can, uh, you know, try and figure it out. Right now, though... We want to talk about traffic safety in the city of Edmonton. In 2015, nearly 40% of all motor vehicle collisions in Edmonton were a result of drivers following too closely behind the vehicle in front of them. Surprise, surprise. More than 9,700 collisions could have been avoided simply by leaving more space between vehicles. Now, how do we know that? We know that because those figures were released last week by the city's Office of Traffic Safety. Joining us now to talk a little traffic safety, Laura Tu, Senior Research Coordinator for the office. Is it Tu? Tui. Tui. I apologize. Like Leanne Tui. Like you told Leanne me that Tui as I walked in the studio, too. I know. All right, so let's start this off. Now, these figures, I assume, are, are generated every year by the city? You bet. All right, so taking a look at these figures, how do they compare to, say, last year or the year before? Are we on the increase or the decrease? The percentage of our total collisions that are caused by following too closely, which is, as you mentioned, about 40%, is fairly consistent year over year. So if we look at the total number of collisions we've had in the city over the last several years, they have been decreasing along with injuries, but the actual percentage is consistent over time. I'm surprised. I would have thought it's gone up. Yeah, it seems like it would have gone up, eh? Well, as the dummy quotient goes up, you think. <laughs> you talk about following too closely. What exactly, and I, I know people are going to say, that's a stupid question, Nye, but I don't think it is. No. What is too closely, and how much room should you be leaving? Is it one car length? Is it two car lengths? Is it three car lengths? What is it? It's a great question, and it's not a stupid mm. question at all, because... Whatever a safe dis- or a safe following distance is depends on a lot of different factors. So how fast you're traveling impacts your stopping distance. Mm-hmm. What are the road conditions? Is it slippery out? Is there gravel on the road? That impacts your stopping distance as well. If you're distracted at all, <laughs> that impacts your reaction time. So if something were to happen in front of you all of a sudden, it's going to take you longer to react, to brake, to stop. So we do go with a general three to four second following rule where you could, for example, look at a pole ahead of you on the road, watch the vehicle go by, count to three or so, and then that's an approximate safe following mm-hmm. distance. But it varies by traffic conditions, speed, and all the factors I just mentioned. Yeah, and it's frustrating as well, isn't it? Because when you actually follow that rule, uh, pick the post or pick the landmark, one, two, three, you know what happens half the time? Somebody pulls into that, that space <laughs> that you've left with the car ahead of you. It really is a matter of education, I suppose, and other things, because uh, traffic, I mean, honest, uh, this is just so frustrating for me, <laughs> because I, I drive the white mud yeah. both directions, to and from work. I see people following me too closely, people speeding, people pulling in and out. So in your mind, is it a matter of traffic enforcement? Is it a matter of education? What do you think the city could do to change these numbers? It's both of those things, absolutely. So we are trying to, first of all, raise awareness about the risk and what is a safe following distance, because I think a lot of people have that question, how close is too close, and to try to get this message across. It's it's frustrating for all of us. I think a lot of drivers are just fed up with mm-hmm. people tailgating and, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, cutting in and out of traffic. and. What it comes down to is we can only control our own driver behavior. So when someone goes in between myself and the next vehicle, 
I have to back off again. And as frustrating as that can be, it's it's taking that step to do that. But it is also enforcement. So we have people out there who, you know, there are some that just make a mistake. They don't know how close they should be following or how far to stay back. There's others who do this as aggressive driving behavior. They are tailgating people who are driving the speed limit, driving safely. They're just in a hurry. They're frustrated because they're not going as fast as they would like them to. That's aggressive driving and enforcement is, is an important factor in. Is in there an aspect of engineering to this as well though? Because I know that the city generates a list of the highest traffic collision intersections and I wonder so when a, a specific intersection appears each and every year, does the city look at that intersection and say, well, maybe we need to change the <laughs> controls on that intersection or the number of lanes, that, that kind of thing? Yes, 100% yes. So <laughs> we, we generate these lists every year of our, our high collision locations. And the first thing we do is begin with an analysis of the data. So what is happening at that location? What are all the different types of collisions that are happening? Of course, we're talking about follow too close today, but we would look at all the different types of collisions that are happening and then we narrow it down to exactly where in the intersection they're happening. So in some cases, we have a high collision location, but we'll find that the vast majority of the collisions may be happening in one turning movement, in a right turn bay, for example. And in some of our earlier work, we did discover that some of the old uh, right turn bay designs, we were finding a lot of rear end type collisions hmm. there. And so that actually led to a change in design. So as we build new intersections or rehabilitate existing ones, that design is being changed and then it does impact the number of collisions there so it is it's an important factor. Laura well. I know this list comes out on a regular basis because I've been in Edmonton for 16 years and I think I've might have covered it for the last 16, <laughs> 16 years in some in some uh, form or another but Yellowhead Trail on 149th Street mm -hmm. topped the list again this year with 65 collisions I think it's topped the list for a number of years now mm -hmm. or it certainly has been in in up up in the top so when you say you actually look at it and try and figure out what's mm -hmm. going on there in some cases are we just stuck with having a bad intersection it's a good question. I think, you know, I'm, I'm aware that there are longer term plans for the entire Yellowhead yeah. corridor. And I think, you know, when you come in from that end of the city, it's one of the first intersections where the speed starts to slow mm -hmm. down. People have to adjust their speed, so that can be a factor there. But certainly it's been on the radar for a long time. But we would look at that intersection as well as the entire corridor, what's happening in the mid-block before and after, and determine from yeah, there. Yeah, that whole little stretch in there yes. is, mm -hmm. is really yes. awful to be well, well, that's, that's a pretty big you. intersection yeah. that you're talking about there and uh, not that it's and I don't find it confusing but yeah it could turn. be intimidating I suppose if you mm -hmm. were new to driving or new to the city and you come up on it I, I just find and, and I don't know what you can do about this or what you do do about this but there's certain intersections that I come across from time to time that I just think how does nobody understand this intersection? <laughs> One of them would be uh, white mud off ramp up to what is that 111th? So you're you're going up the white mud. You're going to cross the LRT tracks, then you can turn left into uh, to go towards uh, Southgate, and there's dotted lines on the road like they. Really, other than getting somebody from the city to actually drive your car, they've done everything you can imagine. Follow the dotted lines around, you'll end up in the right lane. But it's a free-for-all there, and I'm sure that's not the only intersection where people don't know as they turn the corner, they seem to lose track of where the lane is. Is that a habitual problem? 
it's a good point about the fact that that's not going to be the only location. Of course, right? yeah. And it, but it's a good example. And this is where we have to come back to driver behavior and focusing on the road as we're driving. There could be distraction there as a factor or taking that corner too quickly. Mm. There could be visibility issues, but we have to look at, at all of those things. But, yes, but driver behavior, I mean, <laughs> that's a whole... We could sit here and say, oh, driver behavior until, you know, yeah. we talk about yeah. that on, for another thousand years, <laughs> and it likely won't change in many cases. It just won't. Yeah, I wonder, and maybe you can answer this, <laughs> I, I wonder how many intersections, are, are, are all intersections identical in terms of marking? So, for example, I mentioned the 111th uh, up-ramp or off-ramp, but then in Windermere, uh, a brand new intersection. You're going down Twilliger, turning left to go towards uh, uh, whatever that is. Uh, what is Windermere? Well, I guess that's Windermere you're going towards. So, and, and then down into Ambleside. But yeah, then you're, exactly. you're turning over into where the shopping area right, is. Right, exactly. Yeah. So same sort of situation there where now you're turning from one um, street onto another that has two left-hand turn lanes. But there are, again, dotted lines that show you where to go. And yet people always end up in that left-hand turn lane. Then they try and get back into well, the lane they should have arrived but, in. But the problem there is, is that you're going from two lanes into four, four lanes. lanes. So you're going into two lanes to turn right and again see, back up to Williger or the right. two lanes to go straight into the shopping Right. Area. And that's why I asked the question, because I've seen other lanes, other intersections marked differently. So these dotted lines and this, you know, these two lane turn lanes, and you're, you're, you know, it, as you develop new intersections, do you develop them identically so that people understand how intersections work? And and do you go back to old intersections and say, okay, we need to make them more like new intersections so that people know what the rule is? It's a very good question, and it's a question for our, for our engineering yeah. team. Yeah. So coming from a road user behavior perspective, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a difficult one. To yeah, answer for sure. That. Yeah. I did want to. It seems sometimes that those some of those intersections were. What did we describe things before as the lines being painted on by a drunk bunny bu bunny bunny <laughs> oh, rabbit? So, well, it, th yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, let's not get me wound up on that again. <laughs> right, Yellowhead coming into the city though, but it's under construction. Uh, so there's temporary lines down. That's a gong show. I literally, at 2 o'clock in the morning, stopped my car. There was no traffic in any direction to look and say, where does this lane go? <laughs> I, I, I literally could not figure it well, out. And the one lane ended with a big cement block. It, it, it exactly. Was stopped. It stopped. like... Yeah. yeah, you don't want to be texting anyway. Right anyway, Laura, that's a whole other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, right. are are these numbers when we look at these numbers for for Edmonton? Uh, how do we compare to other cities? Well, as far as rear end type collisions, that's pretty much the number one type of collision across the board. So we're not alone in okay. in that factor. Yeah, I did wonder, yeah. just as a guy who likes mm -hmm. statistics, whether or not the fact that we're a winter city would affect mm -hmm. or skew our statistics a little bit. People collide on ice right you know whereas a more southern uh, city might not have that same problem for as many months as we have it it's it's interesting because when we look at our our rear end collisions seasonality is a factor but in different ways so when it's snowy or icy people are driving on slippery roads and yes they will be sliding into each other but when it's not when the roads are dry people are traveling more quickly yeah that's true and so the <laughs> speed increases their stopping distance and oh. we find then we have we still have lots of rear end collisions but then we find more injuries and that's an 
important point too because when we talk about follow too close rear end collision we tend to think these are minor fender benders but in actuality they account for 42 percent of our injury collisions mm. so it's something that we have to take very seriously it's not just oh now i've got the inconvenience of a right. collision we also have a lot of injuries happening i'm guessing it's a long-term investment on the part of the city too to educate drivers just yes. as drinking and driving was and seat belts were exactly intersections are a dangerous place and people have to start realizing that's true before we wrap up I, I don't think we touched on this but this vision zero oh, yeah. yeah what is that very what good. is it <laughs> so just here in the fall we just uh, the City Council approved our most recent road safety strategy for the next five years and in that strategy we officially adopted Vision Zero making Edmonton the first city in Canada to adopt Vision Zero and this is a commitment to eliminate road fatalities and reduce major injuries on our roadways and a lot of people's first reaction to that is, well, that's just impossible. It's and that's what I would happen. say. That's never going to mm -hmm. happen. See, I, I'm but an optimist. I don't understand why it's not possible. It is possible. And the reality is that it is the only ethical goal. That's is, true. Is it okay to say, you know, we had 33, 35 fatalities this year to say that next year, you know what, 20 is okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, It's that's not okay for those families and those mm -hmm. people that are, are killed and, and injured. And basically what we're, um, what we're doing is what is taking off in the United States. There are several large cities there, New York, Chicago, Boston, Los Angeles, that have all officially adopted Vision Zero. Hmm. And they've all just come to realize that this is the only real goal that is worthwhile yeah I don't know like I say I'm an optimist I think you can do it and certainly you're right that's a valid point it has to be the goal to which you mm -hmm. attempt to achieve I think short of uh, bubble wrapping and pulling people's <laughs> licenses I'm not sure how we're gonna get there but I like the fact yeah. that you're trying to mm -hmm. frustrating to drive in this city mm -hmm. and I drive in a lot of towns and I'm telling you this one's <laughs> up there right behind Regina uh, Regina hey I just speak the truth over here I tell, the worst drivers in the world are in Regina I swear if you lose your license in Alberta they give you a Saskatchewan driving license I, I, I'm just saying you drive on King Street to Queen Street <laughs> that's what I'm talking about Prince it's so Street easy and it's easy yeah. it's not like this grid system <laughs> numbers Laura oh. thank you so much if anyone wanted to find out more about uh, Vision Zero that sort of thing uh, wh where would they go they can contact the Office of Traffic Safety. Okay. Yes. And I know that there uh, was a call. Someone was questioning about how new subdivisions are being put in. And you're not an engineer, so mm -hmm. you're not the person to talk to mm -hmm. on that. But if someone had a, a question about that as far as how those intersections go in, is that the engineering, the transportation engineering right. department? Yes. Okay. There hey, we go. You only need to know three numbers. Three, three one, one. one. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to the 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. 325, and thanks to Laura Tui for uh, joining us in studio talking about traffic safety in Edmonton. Yeah, and before you get to that uh, related story, I wanted to read this text to you. So, my father-in-law was denied approval to drive in Alberta because of medical reasons. Saskatchewan, however, approved his license and he's legal to drive there. That's from Jason. Just more fuel for Andrew's Regina claim. <laughs> Thank you, well, sir. Well, there's a lot of Sasquatches there. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, just ask the NBA. How about this one out of Victoria uh, where police are saying a cell phone text message held the confession of a driver who rear-ended 
a police car. <laughs> the police officer, uh, Constable Matt Rutherford, says uh, the collision occurred Saturday night at a busy intersection. Uh, they recovered the phone of the suspect driver, and on it was a text message that said, quote, <laughs> I just got into an accident. OMG. I was trying to text you. Ran into a cop car. OMGGG. Ah, you know, and the funny thing about that, not only the fact, of course, uh, that uh, he ran into a police car, uh, not only the fact that he didn't think to, or that he was texting and didn't think to wipe out the text, the fact that his first go-to move, he's just had an accident. His first go-to move, I need to text this. Yeah, and it says, uh, so the police officer and the police dog not uninjured, but the female driver and a child inside the car oh. were taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Think about that. I mean, it was non-life-threatening. That's great. I'm glad it worked out for them both. But so this is a, a mom with her child driving while texting. Yeah. Smacking into the back of a, yeah. a police cruiser. And you wonder why those numbers aren't coming down. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Ah. <laughs> uh. Let's That'll never get old. No. The 630 Chad Afternoon News. Brought to you by California Closets. For the love of home. 335 on the 630 Chet Afternoon News. Jalen Nye, Andrew Gross, and uh, on to our next interview this afternoon. And... You've heard of this group, the Group of Seven. It's Canada's best-known collective of landscape painters in the early part of the 1900s. Recognizing the beauty and the singularity of the Canadian landscape, this group of painters broke with established art conventions to find new ways of capturing the varied textures of Canada. You bet. Now a new exhibit, which opened on February 8th in the uh, Borealis Gallery located in the Ledge. Uh, can demonstrate and uh, display some of that beautiful artwork. Joining us now uh, with the details of that display uh, is uh, from the Borealis Gallery, Barbara Hilden. She's the exhibits coordinator with the Alberta Ledge Assembly. Good afternoon. Hi there. How are you? I'm well. How about you? Oh, not too bad at all. Uh, you know, I have to be honest with you. I'm not familiar with the uh, Borealis Gallery. Is it new? It's very new. Yeah, we opened with our first show on November 23rd when we hosted uh, an edition of Magna Carta. Oh, and that's this right. Show is now our second one. Oh, the Magna Carta. I remember that. You had a lot of people go through that uh, to see that. We did. It was here for a very short time, but it was very well received. Very good. You know, for those of us that can't remember um, junior high and high school, because we, we studied the group of seven. Sure did. And, <laughs> and I did it in uh, Winnipeg. And for whatever reason, I had the impression that the group of seven was a Manitoba slash Ontario based thing, but perhaps just one of the artists was from. Manitoba area, Selkirk. Can you give us a little background on the Group of Seven? Uh, sure. They they did a lot of their work in um, in Eastern Canada, to be certain, right around the Great Lakes and some of the really picturesque, sort of typically Canadian scenes. Um, but some of them did come out west. Uh, a handful of them came out west over various periods of time, mostly on commercial contracts to do hmm. some work for the CP lines promoting the new mountain resorts and the provincial or the national parks out here. Uh, and then they sort of took those, their same style and applied it to the West. And, and their style was very new and very fresh uh, around the time they were painting, so early part of the um, 20th century. They really moved away from those traditional sort of photographic depictions of landscapes and started rendering them a little bit more abstractly, so strong lines, bold colors, and moved more to and sort of evoking the idea of a mountain rather than capturing the exact scene yeah. that was in front of them. Barbara, how many pieces are there in this exhibit? Where did they come from? We have 38 different works, and they came from a variety of private and public collections all around Alberta. 
So um, some institutions were kind enough to lend us artworks. We have things from the Alberta Foundation for the Arts and the AGA, of course, and Glenbow, as well as a handful of private lenders who generously donated their work to our gallery for three and a half months. And, and is there, <clears throat> with this particular exhibit, is there a specific connection to Alberta? There's a, a very direct connection to Alberta. Most of the works, not quite 100%, but most of the works feature Alberta scenes. A lot of them are the mountains, because some people would say that that's the most picturesque part of the province. But there's also a lot of work from uh, other elements of the province, so down south in the foothills and also up in the peace country. It's not just a show of group of seven artists. It, it really focuses more on the relationships that those group of seven members built in Alberta, so their students, their colleagues, people that they influenced. Very interesting. So now this exhibit opened on Monday, runs until May 23rd. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's different ways of appreciating art. And, you know, they say, you know, it's in the eye of behold, the beholder and everything like that. But mm-hmm. is there a way, like when you're, when you're going into the Borealis uh, Gallery to enjoy this work? Or is that just a very personal thing? Is there a proper oh, a way to question. appreciate art? <laughs> Uh, if there is, I don't know it. I don't think that there's one objective rule for um, how to enjoy artwork. We did have we have a few sort of hands-on activities in the gallery running alongside the artworks, and those are all designed to provide different ways in for people to experience these works of art, because we all have different ways of engaging. Some of us are, are strictly visual learners. Some of us have art history backgrounds, and some of us like to do things with our hands. Unfortunately, you can't touch any of these works of art, so we found some other ways to to help people who learn that way get the same experience out of the exhibit. And I'm guessing with uh, most things uh, brought to us by the city, this is free of charge for people to come on down and appreciate this art? That's right, yeah. All of the exhibits that we do at the Legislative Assembly and the Borealis Gallery are free of charge, as well as all of the uh, Interpretive Center and the theater and all of the other activities we have on site. Good stuff. So hours of operation, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. weekdays, 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. Are you open on Family Day? We are open on Family Day. Um, our hours then are 11 to 4. And uh, throughout the rest of the run of the exhibit, we'll also be open late Thursday evening. Very good. Good stuff. Very good. Barbara, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, looking forward to checking this out. If people want to find out more about it, uh, is there a website, anything that they can go to? Where would you suggest? Yeah, absolutely. It's assembly.ab.ca. And they can link to the Visitor Center microsite. We're also on Twitter. And the hashtag for this exhibit is ABGO7. All right, super. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Uh, take care now. Barbara Hilden uh, from the Borealis Gallery. Brand new, that's where the Magna Carta was on display. I didn't want to show my ignorance. Uh, oh, the Magna Carta. I thought the Magna Carta was the name of a particular exhibition. The actual Magna Carta yeah, was on display? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Wow, okay. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't jump in on that. <laughs> portion of the conversation. So tell us a little bit about what this display Carta? called the Ma- Could you quote for us the Magna Carta? <laughs> I had no idea. Just one more thing you're uh, uh, one more thing to do in Edmonton. Not a not a bad family day activity, quite frankly. Oh no, if you want to check that out, it's uh, it's great. Yeah. You know uh, something uh, just slightly changing gears, but something that we've done on days off before or weekends, not often, but you know you're looking for something to do with the family, the kids, whatever. And somebody suggests the uh, Tell Us uh, World of Science. Yes. Man, is that ever fun to go to? When and, and not that it's not fun when you're a chaperone with a school group, but that's the only time I've gone is in the past. And, you know, you go to see specific parts of it, and you're told when to leave and when mm-hmm. to eat and when to go. But when you just go on your own, 
Uh, it's a lot of fun. And when they introduce those, I realize that's not what that uh, conversation was about, but it's just on my mind. They introduce these evening things. Have you heard about them or mm-hmm. done them? They have a bar and you can go and drink and uh, take in uh, a movie or, you know, but you can also walk around nice. the science uh, center and just so look at just stuff. not just for kids. No, definitely not just for you, unless your kids are over 18. This is the 6.30 Ched Afternoon News with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross on 6.30 Ched, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. I always think that guy's done talking. And it's, it's that uh, pause. Yeah, that's a real pregnant pause in there. Uh, hey, listen, didn't uh, run this by you, and uh, I'm assuming that you can do this really quickly because you're just a master of the board over there. Um not now, not this second, uh, but we do have those uh, Beyonce tickets to give away this afternoon, and we're going to do it before 5.30 because, of course, the City Ford Faceoff show starts at 5.30 as we take on the Toronto Maple Leafs, the hapless Leafs. Um, but we're going to have you try and identify five tunes um, that we've put together. Did you want to maybe give people a sneak? We'll give them a little sneak. Yeah. We'll do a couple of sneaks here over the next little while. So what time do we want to give this away at? Do you want to do it at that 4.50? Because it gives us a little bit more time. Sure. Now. Okay. So this we'll start is... like at 4.48. Yeah, yeah. This there. is a little tougher than normal. Um, and again, each each bit, there, there's five songs. Yeah. Five songs. Do we want to narrow it down even further than that? Uh, you know, I think we might have to. This sounds like the kind of contest that could go on for weeks, and we want to get it done in minutes. So we'll narrow it down this way for you, and we'll say that there are each track... uh, Each bit we're going to play. Each bit we're going to play is either a Beyoncé song or a Destiny's Child song. So we don't want to throw you off. There's, In fact, I'll even go so far as to say four are Beyoncé songs and one a Destiny's Child song. So you want to hear it? Yeah. Okay, this is what it sounds like. Hmm. Hold on a second. I was expecting more. There you go. It's not playing in here well, for, Matthew can play for, for me. Us. It's Thursday Beyonce. Matthew, see if it works in there for you. Remember those walls I built? Well, baby, they tumbling down. Okay, so there you mm, have it. There you it. go. That's five. I was expecting it to be a little bit tighter, not as long. I think those are some pretty good hints there. Yeah, yeah. If you're paying attention, you should be able to do it. Even if you're not, if you're a Beyonce fan, you should be able to identify those five songs uh, when we play them for you. And we're going to do that in about an hour's time. But that was a sneak preview. That it was. Why is that button not working? Hey, uh, while you figure that out, can I ask you if this is a real thing? I've had two communications in the last day. I think they're both legit, but I'm not really sure. One was, I've never in all my life had a recall notice before, but I've got a recall notice. It's it's a pretty simple problem. But how do they know? I mean, where? How? who? It's not the dealership. It's from... So it's a vehicle? It's, Yeah. Something to do for your vehicle? Yeah, it's uh, like a hose where the clamp is maybe not tight uh, as it should be. So I'm guessing what they do is wherever you bought the, the the vehicle from, it's in some massive file. Knowing that you bought this, it gets sent out, boom. By the... Everybody knows everything. It's from FCA. 
Fiat Chrysler automobiles, mm. which, you know, I didn't buy my car directly from them. Love my car, by the way. So what do you do? You just phone the dealer and say, I need to make an appointment for this recall notice? So, yeah, and I've got this recall notice. First off, is it for real? Yes, no. Yeah, that's a good okay. point. I should and ask then, that. And uh, then go from there. All right, sounds good. Looks like a super simple uh, fix. The other one is this. Got an email today. Um, the email basically said, hey, a friend of yours just won you a coffee, and it's uh, a free coffee from Tim Hortons. It's a coupon with uh, one of those barcodes you can scan, but I've never heard of this before. Um, don't necessarily know the person who sent me the free coffee. Um, I guess I, all I have to do is go to Tim Hortons and... and is this legit? Is this legit or not? But, uh, hey, who doesn't want a free coffee? Although you'll see how colorful the, the coupon is that I had to print. I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure I dropped as much in ink as a coffee would actually cost me. <laughs> it came with three more pages of ads. But, yeah, it says I've gotten a free oh, coffee. Yeah. And now you pointed out a story. Yeah, this was interesting. There's uh, some Tim Hortons customers want to roll up the rim, but without the paper cup. So there is a change.org petition that i believe started out of well first launched last year by someone out of beaumont that's right out of beaumont saying that customers should not be forced to choose between an environmentally conscious option and participating in roll up the rim on thursday morning there was more than 14,000 people had signed on uh, you know tim hortons kind of dismissed the concerns and last uh, year last year but yeah. isn't there a thing on the tim hortons website you can just go on or you yeah we talked about this there's no purchase necessary so you can go to tim hortons and you can play a, a virtual roll up the rim game but you can also and this has been the case for many many years with tim hortons uh that you can send an envelope pre-addressed and they'll send you a cup but that sort of defeats the purpose of they what these they don't want the cup. they don't want to waste the cups right and i hadn't really even thought about it before i read this story but they're right, and I see that all the time in lineups where people hand, th uh, hand through the window their own Tim Hortons cup or their own cup, and they're being environmentally friendly, but they're, that excludes them from being able to roll up an actual cup rim. So, yeah, I, that's something Tim Hortons is going to have to think about. Do you, know, do you remember years ago when Tim Hortons had uh, uh, thermoses? Yeah. I bought a Tim Hortons thermos. Loved mm -hmm. it. Loved it. Still have it. But it didn't fit any particular combination yep. mm. of coffee like it was too small for two extra larges it was too big for it was like the three bears y you'd have to say well i want a large a medium i think it was a i finally figured it out that a large medium and small would fit in the thermos yeah but they didn't know how to price it which is just weird because they're the ones selling it well, online, you can go to rollupthewind.com, and it says roll up at home and enter for your chance to win digital Tim cards, Tim Hortons merchandise, and more. You can go online. Well, maybe that's what somebody did. Now. All right. Oh, you should roll Sign up a rim in, over there. and there you go. So I think possibly that's what somebody did, and then they just threw my email address down as, as somebody that so would... Some people just have too much time on their hands. Well, you always have time for Tim Hortons. Well, yeah, I just... Wait, <laughs> you're not going to virtually roll up rims? I just, you really, you want to do a, a petition to, come on. <laughs> you know what's uh, kind of bad about that, to be honest with you? Uh, um, I'm virtually rolling my eyes. Back <laughs> in my nice one. Is that we both uh, printed the story out on paper. <laughs> Which is getting into the recycling. <laughs> yeah, we spent two minutes on it. It's now going to recycling. Uh, but yeah, there you go. Have you been successful, by the way? Have you been rolling your rims? I want a coffee today.
Hey, good for you. Yeah, I want a coffee. I want you to think back. I bought the on... Boss coffee today, too. I oh. haven't heard if there was any success there. You bought the Boss a coffee today. Well, uh-huh. I was here early, yeah, yeah, no, and sure, I didn't yeah. want your coffee to get cold. Yeah, no, I totally understand. You know, I always ask when I go out, do you want me to grab your coffee? Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And sometimes you text me and say, are you at Tim Hortons yet? Because I'll take a... I've just started know. drinking them again. Okay, fair enough. Health, give us an update on that. So far, so good. All right, good to hear. <laughs> Are you happy that this thing? I know you're really no, excited and anxious. No, I was to go, really bombed that yeah. uh, it was uh, it was postponed till tomorrow. I mean, but hey, you get it. I mean, it's there's blizzard conditions in mm-hmm. Resolute, and for the plane to fly into it, that's uh, tricky. And for paratroopers to jump out of it, sure. that's dangerous. So now, is there any chance it'll be delayed again? I mean, <laughs> snow doesn't go in 24-hour cycles. You're, you're hopeful. They're hoping, I am kind of hopeful. They're just uh, hoping that the winds are going to uh, die right. down. So that's the big one. It's selfish. Of me, but of course it's easier to do the show with you here and more pleasurable for everyone. How do you find out if you're going tomorrow, or is it just a they done deal? Email us. Okay, so at this point, are you on hold? Yep. Oh, okay. So you don't know. Maybe you're not even going tomorrow. The wind up there is uh, 35 kilometers an hour right now. So that's a lot of wind. Mm-hmm. Minus 28. Hmm. Minus 44. Now, if you don't end up going tomorrow, <coughs> I'm sorry about that. Does it get put off? I mean, does it get canceled at some point, or is this thing going? No matter what, it's going. No, sometime. Uh, I, we're told that we're going to go, um, and and we'll it will see what happens. But if it's really really bad conditions, I I doubt that we're going to go. They're doing a second run up on uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. That's when uh, w- wingers going up on. Right. But the paratroopers weren't going to jump in at that point. So hopefully, then she'll get to go up and, and experience it. I guess I could too, but I wanted to be here to prep for next week because yeah, you're not here. So. I'm not. Yeah. So wingers going from. I I believe she's in a tropical She's locale. going from Cuba to Resolute <laughs> wow. in 24 hours. <laughs> More like 12 hours. I mean, nobody's shedding any tears for anyone who's on a Cuba trip, but man, that's going to be quite the transition. Yeah. You know what it feels like when you step off the plane mm-hmm. in Edmonton. You're like, oh, there it is, that cold wall of air. What's Resolute <laughs> feel like? You're, my whole skin would just fall off. Do you not find that when you get back from a, or is it just me? And no. I know, I know three words, moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. As soon as you get back, like you start peeling instantly. Like I am still peeling from last weekend or yeah, whatever well, we were there. Yeah, well, you should have used some sunscreen. <laughs> I, I did. No, you did not. I did so. I used first... it to hold down the pesos on the table. Oh, man. So I could tip. Uh, that first day and yeah. you say every day, I'm not going to do that again. And then you do it. I actually have blisters from that first day. Well, because you weren't listening to me I got or it. Carol. Yeah. No, you're right. Did you say me or Gail? Carol. Carol. I, I actually have blisters uh, on my that are just going away now, and I didn't go out in the sun. I put a shirt on every day after that. And this is more wife information for you, by the way. Here's the problem with the wives. Uh, here's more wife information. Is I was burnt that first day. I didn't feel well that night, so I wore a shirt the rest of the week. I didn't take it off. And uh, then Carol points out that uh, that doesn't help. Like, but she pointed that out at the end of the week. She was like, "You, you, you know, rays can go through that shirt. <laughs> yeah. Why would you mention you that on the? You have to buy the special shirts, right. that, that block it, like Barry. Yeah, Barry had a shirt on like that. Well, <laughs> yes, he did. If somebody had told me that, I would have brought my tinfoil hat, put it on. I mean, there's there's precautions I could have taken. No, the the only precaution that you needed to take was to put sunscreen on yep. the first couple of days. Right, and instead, fine. you you rolled yourself in a mudslide, and you I laid did. yourself out by the pool in a 30 degree, yeah, n- near the equator, burned yourself silly. That's correct. And All then in the true. last two minutes, you you pulled up the towel. 
<laughs> That's true as well. Do you know when I knew I had a problem? I pulled up the towel because I was like suddenly cold in 30 degree weather. Yeah. And that was the chills that w- stayed with me for the rest of the day and night. Mm. But I soldiered through it. Yeah, you did. Am I a hero? So Maybe. when you go away this weekend, are you going to do the same thing? Yeah, well, now that I've got a base burn, I think we're okay. <laughs> and burn. and I got a new hat. So I think we're good. And it's I not did your wear a hat. Oh. It was your chest. <laughs> I, if I wrap myself in tinfoil, I would look like a baked potato by the pool. But I think that's a great idea. I'm going to do that and tweet that picture for you. Please? Yeah. Promise? I promise.